0: You're listening to the RSA Conference Podcast, where the world talks security.
1: Hello, listeners, and welcome to this installment of our RSAC 365 podcast series. We have a great podcast lined up for you today called The Art and Science of Using Cybersecurity Talent Frameworks and Taxonomies with our special guests, David Forsey and Megan Sall. They'll be talking about the lack of clarity in cybersecurity job descriptions across most sectors and industries, and also looking at how to align those job descriptions and training with the right tools to help you recruit and retain the talent that your security team needs. Here at RSAC, we host podcasts twice a month, and I encourage you to subscribe on SoundCloud or your preferred podcast app so that you can be notified when new tracks are posted. And now I'd like to ask Megan and David to take a moment to introduce themselves before we dive into today's topic. Megan, why don't we start with you?
2: Thank you, Casey. Uh, Thanks for joining today. My name is Megan Saul, I'm VP Marketing and Research here at InfoSec Institute. If you're not familiar with our company, we specialize in role based cybersecurity education for the entire enterprise.
0: I'm David Forsey. I'm managing director for the Aspen Cybersecurity Group at the nonprofit Aspen Institute based in Washington, D.C. We have gathered a coalition of over 30 companies from across various sectors to come together um, and basically bridge the gap between security professionals and human resources offices to figure out how to implement and study practices in the cybersecurity workforce community. And uh, we're really excited to work with Megan and see how we can implement some of the lessons from her research.
1: That's great, and we're super excited to have both of you here. Our theme for the month of April is human element, and so I think this perfectly ties in with those aspects of security awareness and professional development, and um, so all things human are really important that we'll discuss today. Megan, I know you surveyed 370 IT and cybersecurity managers in the U.S. and Canada about the resources they use to build cybersecurity job descriptions and career paths. Can you explain to our listeners what you learned from that survey?
2: Yes, absolutely. So, Casey, we learned a lot more than we were expecting and then some. So, so basically, the premise of the, the survey was to understand exactly what tools and resources these IT and cybersecurity managers use, right, to write those job descriptions and training plans so we could better understand how to link our own recommendations to job roles in like a more effective and scalable way. So we had this hunch essentially that managers were looking to resources like the NICE Workforce Framework for Cybersecurity. And then of course like HR and learning and development and similar job descriptions on external sites, but we weren't really sure like where the trends were as well as like how organizations across the North America were really adopting and implementing things like NICE. And so um, I won't get in too much into the weeds um, for anyone on the who's listening who hasn't actually seen the study. What we found was that 81% of participants in the study were reporting that they were at least considering aligning cybersecurity job descriptions to the NICE framework. Um, That same cohort was 676% more likely to report very well to extremely well-defined cybersecurity job roles and responsibilities at those organizations. And then this last bullet that I found... Like, really the most compelling part of the study was that same group was 57% more likely to report satisfaction with their ability to fill open cybersecurity roles than respondents at organizations with no intent to map to the NICE framework at all. So, we asked about a few different resources, and and we'll get into that later on, Um, but where we really saw this trend was organizations with more than 10,000 employees and you know, moving away from resources like external job descriptions, um, sites like indeed maybe existing prior cybersecurity job descriptions at organizations that were maybe flawed in some way, right? That may have led to them having an inability to fill those open roles. So so really the the big sort of walk, the takeaway from this study was the ability of the nice framework and organizations modeling job descriptions and responsibilities after that on their ability to recruit and fill those open roles.
1: That's really interesting. I've had so many conversations with members of our community and some of our speakers just about this, you know, lack of uniformity and lack of sort of alignment between hiring managers and HR and, you know, coming back to that job description. So it's fascinating results. David, based on what you've seen here from your network, were those the results that you were expecting?
0: Yeah, i say pretty much so. Well, first, first of all, I just want to say that this study is super important for a very basic reason, which is that, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners agree, there is a crazy lack of data in the cybersecurity field generally and in the cybersecurity workforce field specifically. So I'm really happy uh, that Megan and the a second to did this because now we have some actual objective data for how many people are looking at the nice cybersecurity workforce framework because... For me, before that, it was really just conversations I was having with folks in our network of technical experts and business executives and policymakers. So I was really happy to see 81% of organizations were at least considering aligning it. Um, although I've been surprised, you'll talk with some HR offices at even pure play cybersecurity companies, and they, they haven't heard of the nice cybersecurity framework. So if you're looking at this and you haven't heard of this, you should definitely go check it out. Um, It's a really important tool, and obviously we'll get into that a little bit later in this podcast. I was not at all surprised to see that people who are having trouble defining roles in job descriptions had a much easier time doing that after they either began implementing the framework or actually did implement the framework because that's precisely what it's supposed to do, right? This is supposed to be a common taxonomy that allows employers know what they should be actually recruiting for lets candidates know what skills they should have for these roles, and therefore they will know whether they're a good match for these roles, and it allows educators to train students for the roles that are in demand by industry, right? So it's not at all surprising that they had a much easier time filling those roles because the point of the NICE framework is to allow much better communication between the employers who are hiring and the people who are applying for these jobs. So, no, I was not surprised at all, but now we actually know. And this is a great foundation to expand adoption of the framework across industry.
1: And I think it becomes even more critical because, you know, where maybe five or six years ago or even longer than that, there was, you know, a single cybersecurity career path or evolving. There are hundreds now, right, Mm -hmm. that the NICE framework outlines and so, it almost becomes so necessary to be able to hire effectively and write a job description effectively to have that resource to rely upon. Megan, did you want to add anything there?
2: Yeah. I mean, just just to kind of expand on, on what David said a little bit more, like, I wasn't shocked to see that it's working. Um, I was very pleased to see such like a a strong, you know, dotted line to, to basically nice implementation to recruiting success. But I was a little surprised at the adoption rate of it because I think, David, nice framework first version came out in 2017. Does that sound right? I think so, yeah yeah so it's it's relatively new, and when you look at organizations like the study looked all the way up and down um the enterprise sort of size uh, buckets that you could think of. it was basically a thousand employees are up all the way to fifty k and up and to see some of these larger you know more complex organizations adopting the framework and having such early success with it was was pretty surprising to me personally um all of this you know to David's point about lack of data this was really just kind of a hunch. And and we thought that it was going to have this positive impact. But to see it confirmed in numbers with such strong, you know, findings was was the surprising part to me. And it makes sense, right? Because Casey, it's just like you say, there's so many roles. Um, the framework itself has 52 cybersecurity work roles in it um, and, you know, hundreds of knowledge and skill statements. So, it is a complex thing to implement, and it's especially complex to implement well. So, to see this early data saying, you know, it's working, it's working, um, is such a positive and strong signal for the rest of us in the industry. And we'll get into this a little bit later, but it opens up Several new pathways to aligning, you know, credentials, training programs, um, cross sector, uh, public private sort of transferable skills, um, making it easier for anyone to fill an open role. But also for those the important people right in this conversation, the actual cybersecurity practitioners, it just really clarifies things and makes it a lot easier to figure out what you need to learn and then where you can go from there.
1: Mm. And provides this glimmer of hope that, you know, the skills gap may someday narrow rather than continue to grow, right? Exactly. Um, so yeah, study... it's, a, it's a positive news headline. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, I know that the study primarily focused on adoption, youth, and impact of the NICE workforce framework for cybersecurity. So I'm curious why this framework over others?
2: We have been looking at NICE here at InfoSec for, you know, a few years now. Um, basically, all of the things David touched on earlier, right? It's a taxonomy that basically demystifies all the terms and jargon we tend to use um, within the industry and also just from company to company into a standardized language that sort of Breaks down a really big barrier to entry for people, right? That's understanding what the heck we're all talking about. Um, it makes, introduces a taxonomy that can scale. It can scale to an organization of 500 all the way up to, you know, hundreds of thousands in a really effective way. Um, one of the coolest things about the framework is the knowledge and skill statement building blocks that essentially allow. Any org to take a cybersecurity work role, they can use one of the 52 provided in the framework. They can build their own from bottoms up. They can introduce the new competencies that NICE is, is actually considering now. You know, adding those back into the framework. So it just—it's flexible. It's specific enough to be effective, right? And that's—that's that's one of the things that I'm sure David can touch on even more than myself is that. Sometimes the simplest answer isn't the best, um, but in this case, we had a, a complex framework that can be adopted and applied in a really meaningful, impactful way for any organization in any industry, and that's why we really wanted to take a look at this
0: framework in particular. I don't hear anyone talk about other cyber workforce frameworks, ever. Um, and so, to me, this is really one of the only games in town. Now, Megan, you know, who has much deeper expertise in this field than I do, might be able to speak to some other frameworks, but to me, I mean, it's also really important that this was really developed by the federal government, the wonderful folks at NICE, uh, which is inside the National Institute for Standards and Technology. Um, And I think that's important when buying from other folks who might be skeptical of industry-driven products. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but there's a certain attractiveness that is held by the federal government in that there's no ulterior motive, there's no profit motive here. Um, They just want industry to have an easier time finding the roles, um, and they want candidates to have an easier time finding those positions that are most relevant for their skills. I also think it's worth zooming out for a second and just talking about the broader problem here, which is that what we hear from a lot of companies, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners here will be nodding their heads in agreement on this, is that there is this big push to start focusing much more on hiring based on real-world, relevant, relevant, skills, not just proxies for skills that have become outdated. So an excellent example is four-year degrees. You know, for many, many years, a lot of open cybersecurity positions required four-year degrees to apply. That traditional lens, which, you know, focuses on college-educated candidates, is generally a group that is predominantly white and male. And so one of the challenges there is you are automatically cutting out a huge swath of the population. Not only that, college-educated males, that's not a really good proxy for whoever is going to actually have success in whatever given role you're hiring for, right? So we really need to rethink these outdated requirements. And I'm going to draw this back to the next framework, right? But so if you look at CyberSeek.org, over 90% of open cybersecurity positions require a four-year degree, right? But in cybersecurity, you know, a lot of data indicates that a majority of self-described hackers, so they're self-taught. And we know that a lot of IT managers, many of whom are listening right now, actually disfavor degrees as, you know, a way to assess cybersecurity skills. And like I said, this also has disparate impacts based on race and ethnicity. So only 42% of white individuals, 23% of African Americans, and I think it's 18% of those who identify as Hispanic actually have bachelor's degrees. And, you know, if we have the NSA, which is already a champion for new pathways for hiring candidates, you know, they hire many of their folks from designated two-year schools. So what is awesome about the NICE Cyber Framework is it gives you a tool, a practical tool that allows you to de-emphasize outdated requirements, such as four-year degrees. And it allows you to hire based on the actual tangible skills and abilities that are relevant to that role. Another area where this is really important is in the actual language in job postings. So we know that how you write a job posting can have a significant impact on which candidates apply. So little changes in how you actually describe the job can have a meaningful effect on who's actually looking for that job and then who actually goes through the process. So we know that from research, companies can replace specific terms that tend to attract, say, males and deter, say, females. So Cisco actually had a whole program where they changed... The language in their descriptions to remove biased language can end up boosting their rate of female applicants over 10%, right? So yes. again, if you rely on something like the NIST cyber workforce framework, then you actually have something that's, you're generally going to be using less biased language because it's directly relevant to the knowledge, skills, and abilities for each role. So this is mm-hmm. great for killing two birds with one stone. Number one, you're going to have an easier time finding the right candidates for the open roles you have, and you're going to be creating a much more diverse cyber workforce because what you're doing is expanding the talent aperture by focusing less on outdated requirements and more on the things that actually matter.
2: If you're in the Department of Veterans Affairs or if you're, you know, currently or have worked for the Department of Defense, you might be familiar with two other frameworks that are, that are pretty significant there. One would be um, the DoD cyber workforce framework and the other is uh, DoD 8570, 8140. So the study also looked at those two frameworks as well. And what was super interesting to see, which just sort of reinforces and reiterates the points that David was making, Was that really, Casey, like any workforce framework (laughs) Works <laughs> and that's that's not a surprise if you're if you're with the VA or the DoD you're going yes that's because they're all related and they and they are right so so what we saw is positive signals that structuring your your job descriptions your training plans in really easy to understand language that's not riddled with bias you know whether that be in race or in terms of gender has a very measurable impact on your ability to fill open roles recruit those roles the study also looked at um, employee development program maturity. We we saw these benefits trickle through um, in, in every way that we measured them. So if you're in the federal government camp and are interested in that data, that's available in that study as well.
0: And one more thing to add on to Megan is, and of course, bias can creep into any framework, right? We might find that the NIST cyber workforce framework does use language that ends up having a disparate impact. But we'll never know unless we actually track this stuff. You know, we need companies to share data on their hiring We need people like Megan doing this research to figure out over time whether it actually does have a disparate impact, and I just want to footstop that point. You know, we need, you know, your listeners and companies to all come together and get involved and start pooling this data so that we can track it in a meaningful way.
1: Right. Absolutely. And I'm fascinated by the potential bias language and identifying what that is so that we can, you know, remove that and... and the stat that you gave about Cisco boosting their applications as a result of, you know, just tweaking their language just a little bit, which is um, hugely important, you know, as we continue to try and overcome this challenge of bringing and attracting, really, a diverse workforce into the industry. One question I have, though, and I do appreciate, Megan, you bringing up these other um, frameworks, but, you know, I don't know, is a shared collective view one that we're all looking for or are people looking at other solutions? You know, David had said it's the only, you know, game in town. Is that really okay? Are people staying away from it for that reason or what's going on here?
2: Yeah, no, that's, that's a great point. And honestly, if you, if you speak with the folks over at NICE, this is something that I think is brought up quite a bit. Um, so one of the first things we did in the study was actually asked, like, is this thing we're about to ask you all the benefits about? Do you even think this is possible? Right. Because that's like step one. <laughs> and so, so what we found is that most people agree that role standardization is possible either across the industry or at least within specific industries. So like verticals, like healthcare versus industrial control systems, for example. So so they all agree that, or not all, but the majority agree that it's at least possible across the board or within specific verticals. And then when we ask them further, like, what would be the reason for doing this? Um, The most reported benefits were clearly defined job descriptions, helping candidates understand job requirements better, easier employee development planning, uh, making it easier to inventory team knowledge and skills, And then, of course, making it easier to align training resources, which falls in line with employee development planning. So so overwhelmingly, yes, at least within specific industries or across the board. And then um, lots of shared agreements on the benefits with the top two, of course, being clearly defined job descriptions and, you know, helping candidates actually understand what's required of them. Um, And with the NICE framework, I think it's important to touch on sort of how that process works. So the framework is goes under review uh, very frequently to look for lagging um, maybe knowledge and skill statements that don't match up to the current tech stack, for example. So one of the first uh, sort of pushbacks that NICE gets on a lot of the knowledge and skill statements is... What's your plan for quantum computing, for example, or, or you know, AIML changes all the time. How will this stay up to date? Well, it's really a public-private partnership. They open the framework up for public comment. Anyone can submit a response. Anyone listening to this can submit feedback. That's all taken into consideration, and then they revise it periodically to make sure that it is staying up to date with the technology as well as what employers and candidates, um, actual security practitioners are looking for. So um, I think that's one of the best ways that they make sure the framework that everyone's pushing to align to, right, is actually relevant and isn't going to fall behind sort of the pace of technology change. And then, of course, all of the skills and, and training that need to follow it.
1: And then even to follow up on that, you know, does the hiring or role clarity, do those challenges vary even by organization size or team or industry? Is there any evidence of that in the research that you've done or, David, in your experience?
0: Yeah, I mean, before Megan digs into the actual data she has, I just think it's worth pointing out that what has struck me is that how many cybersecurity companies, and what I mean by this is not a company like Johnson & Johnson, um, who's primary business is not cybersecurity, right? But who has a very capable cybersecurity team. But cybersecurity companies who focus on cybersecurity do not necessarily have the most mature cybersecurity workforce development programs because when it comes down to it, while even very successful cybersecurity companies are relatively small companies compared to many other, you know, of the Fortune 500. And so they often just don't have enough resources or huge, you know, human resources shops and so that's where I think there's a lot of opportunity to use the NICE workforce framework, which is cybersecurity companies who are hiring for a lot of cybersecurity roles specifically, but whose human resources shops just might not be resourced well enough to do all the research and all the, the lay all the groundwork to make sure that they're accomplishing what the NICE workforce framework does for them. Um, so that's where I see this having a lot of value.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And, and the data in this study, so so really, what we found is that larger organizations reported more uh, role clarity. Um, they're also slightly more likely, right, to, to implement something like the Nice Framework. Um, so specifically, what we found was organizations with more than 10,000 employees were 35% more likely to report well-defined job descriptions are 55% more likely to report having at least some clearly defined cybersecurity career paths, and then 46% more likely to have mature employee development programs that actually required uh, employee development training. And we saw the same sort of differences and trends emerge at the security team size level. And I think this just honestly makes sense. I mean, Casey, if you think about it, right, if you're at a small organization and you're one cybersecurity person and you are a department of one doing 52 of the nice work roles, basically, right, at some level, (laughs) um, things get pretty murky really fast. But if you're 52 people doing 52 unique roles, you can get a lot more specific about who does what and when, Uh, what they're responsible for what they're not responsible for as well as where someone can kind of move within that organization and i think david's point is really interesting because where that really becomes critical is if you're a department of one moving into a large enterprise or maybe you work at a large enterprise and you want to sort of like step back work at a smaller organization what the nice framework does or you know DoD workforce framework or 8570 does it's really like makes it a lot easier for those people to move roles. Um, we know cybersecurity has a lot of churn issues, has a lot of burnout issues. We know it's hard to move vertical to vertical. Implementing frameworks like this, even if Nice were to adopt some type of vertical specific taxonomy will make this so much more simpler for both people wanting to switch around as well as companies trying to recruit talent, you know, maybe from another industry or someone's just moving cross country, right, from a heavy industrial area into maybe Silicon Valley. And and there's just different skills and, and knowledge needed in those particular
1: roles. Interesting. So, it's valuable for the organization in establishing the whole, but then the individual in terms of the parts and, and how to navigate around. Absolutely, right? Yeah, yeah,
2: there's two parts to that that process, right? Like you need to know what the job description is actually asking. And then the employers want to take that resume of the candidate and see what they actually have. And, you know, InfoSec is really looking at a future where a candidate could have a resume with specific knowledge and skill statements, you know, right out of the NICE framework on it and use that to directly transfer to an open description with those same knowledge and skills listed, it just really takes a lot of the complexity out of it. Um, I think Casey, as as you know, your your background, your journalism background, you know, you can write one thing and someone can read it as another. Uh, this takes a lot of that ambiguity out of it, right? It makes it a lot more clear. So I think it's a it's a mm-hmm. great next step for the industry to follow.
1: Hmm. So speaking of what's next, uh, if there's one key finding that listeners should take away with them from today's conversation, what, what would you say that is? David, why don't we start with you?
0: I mean, I'm sure Megan agrees that if you either don't know what the NICE Cyber Workforce Framework is, you should go check it out now. And if you do know what it is, you should consider now how to use it to help you provide more clarity around the cybersecurity roles and responsibilities that you're hiring for. Um, it's a no-brainer. I would also say if you're an educator, You should also be looking at how to align curricula to the uh, knowledge, skills, and abilities outlined in the NICE Cyber Workforce Framework. It's a no-brainer, and um, if you'd like to know more about how to do that, if you'd like to talk with other organizations that have done so, please feel free to reach out to Megan or myself. We'd love to help you do it.
2: Yep. And I will add to that, um, that the NICE framework is an amazing tool. If it's the first time you've ever seen it, it can be overwhelming. Um, So don't be afraid to reach out to uh, really your your wider network for assistance, myself or David. Uh, NICE actually has monthly working group meetings and community boards. It's amazing the amount of information and knowledge sharing that goes on there. If if you're like, none of these 52 cybersecurity work roles match the jobs at my organization, there's an answer for that. So just reach out to anyone in the community and we we can help you build out a custom work role, walk you through what that process might look like even down to how much time should I expect to budget for this, um, we can help. Uh, So definitely don't be afraid to reach out to myself or David or the wider community. There are tons of resources available to help you implement this and realize some
1: of those benefits of the study. Excellent. And so if folks are rushing to the the NICE framework uh, after listening to this, what's next? What are some next steps that they should be taking?
0: What I would like to see is I would like everyone who works in hiring in the cybersecurity field to start laying the groundwork with their companies to get comfortable with sharing data around cybersecurity hiring. Um, We need to track this over many years to see what actually works or not. Otherwise, how are we supposed to actually make evidence-based decisions? We can't. How are we supposed to design policies and laws that incentivize behavior that everyone agrees will improve security outcomes? We can't unless we know it actually works, and we won't know what works unless we're sharing data about what works. And right now, there's very little of that going on. Um, So I would like everyone to start laying the groundwork among their executives, among their supervisors, to get comfortable sharing that data, because folks like Meg and I are going to be coming to them soon, and we're going to be asking how we can help pull that data in a way that benefits not only their organizations, but their counterparts across industry and the broader public interest.
2: I would say everything that David said, and I'll go one step further to say, if you read the study or any study on workforce taxonomies and cybersecurity, you're probably going to have all these questions that are like, but what about this? Or what about that? I want to know what all of those, but what are <laughs> so that we can help build out the next survey, right. Or the next study. So um, everything David said, and then, you know, pick up the study, poke holes in it, email me about them. I'd love to have a conversation about how we can get even more granular so it can apply to, to all of the stakeholders here. I think David, your comments earlier about like a bias, wouldn't it be great to run the same study and see how it's actually helped people overcome that or not. And then I'm sh- certain, that's information that that nice to be interested in, in hearing as well. So um, more data, more working with each other, right, and information sharing. So uh, happy to take any feedback anyone has
1: after taking a look at it.
0: Yeah, yeah Casey, more it's community, just worth...
1: more conversation.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Sorry, and Jason, Casey, it's worth pointing out. The study that Megan did is cutting edge, and it's so sad that it's cutting edge. It, it's crazy how little we know. Um, and so if you're out there and you've got a lot of questions and you're assuming that someone has the answers, often it's actually not the case. So please reach out to folks like Megan and myself. We'd love to get you involved in the work we're doing to help answer these broader questions.
1: Right. Yeah, that's fantastic. David, Megan, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a fascinating conversation and hopefully we'll continue as you get lots of those questions and produce more studies so that we can keep these conversations going. Listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Keep the conversation going on your social channels using the hashtag RSAC. We host podcasts twice a month, and I encourage you to subscribe on SoundCloud or your preferred podcast app so you can be notified when new tracks are posted. Interested in becoming a contributor? Visit us at www.rsaconference.com backslash become a contributor to learn more.